This is Party Wall Pro, the podcast where surveyors tell you how they first started and how they've grown their business, making it easier for you to get to the top. Hi, hi, and welcome to um, another edition of this podcast. I've got Leo Scarborough with me, um, of um, founder of Surveyor, uh, surveyo.co.uk. Right. And um, and so we've been uh, I've been in touch with him for some some time now. Uh, good guy, so really really excited to have him on today. Um, Leo, welcome. So Thank you. Um, yeah, so just uh, tell me a bit a little bit about about yourself. How did you how did you start in the surveying business? Ah, good question. Father's advice. Um, my father has been a massive influence on me. Um, he is a floor layer by trade, um, and I I wasn't a particularly great performer at school. Um, didn't get got GCSEs, didn't get too much in the way of A levels, um, and started out on a career path in uh, the restaurant business. I was a barman. Wanted to follow my dad into floor laying, um, and he just dissuaded me. He he let me do a few hours, a few days with him, um, kept me on for a bit and then sat me down and said, you've got to back up your ideas, son. Um, the barman uh, job was great, um, was a great payer at the time, at the age of 18, 17, 18, 18 must have been. Um, and, but there's kind of a ceiling to it, the ceiling to the amount you can earn. Yeah. So sat me down and said, it's time to get re-educated. So having left school with little to no A-levels, I'd spent a year in industry doing bits and pieces. He got me work experience with various number of his contacts. And I started life then as a quantity surveyor. I got myself on a course first, on a part-time course, and then found myself a job. The hardest way possible, actually. 100 CVs, three interviews, one job offer. And hey, that's where it started. <laughs> um, so yeah, started off as a quantity surveyor um, and soon realised quantity surveying wasn't really where my passion lie and ended up as a building surveyor and a multidiscipline practice, quite a small practice. Um, so I didn't, I couldn't get lost in the, um, I couldn't get lost in the conglomerate of big companies. Mm. Um, not for everybody, it worked for me. But I had to learn pretty fast um, and got uh, started to take on various, various complex and, and senior roles from an early age. And it really did um, kind of spur me to, um, to, to pick things up quite quickly, that's all. Right. That's, that's the advantage of being in a, in a smaller firm, right? You, you've got oh, responsibilities um, at a much earlier stage. Nowhere to hide as well. You're very much. I my um my boss was a, a really supportive man. Um, he really did kind of lead me down that direction. He he never pushed me, um, but the work ethic that I adopted was certainly to to push myself to push myself as much as possible, um, and he allowed me to do it. Um, there were some really rookie mistakes I made in the early days, um, but actually he allowed me to make them 
and then kind of in a very professional way came and scooped up the pieces reset reset me um and then allowed me to go off again having learnt my lesson yeah and so um what triggered the um or how did you did you decide or when did you decide to uh, do it alone well good question the actual decision i always knew probably from when i started my career maybe within 12 to 18 months that i was going to be self-employed at one point um there was it wasn't a rebellious thing against the hierarchy it wasn't um the fact that i wasn't getting supported um it was just a need to be able to prove myself it was a need to have the potential to earn more um money's not a driver for me um my family is so again a driver from when i was a a young boy was always have a family um and actually you start to add things together um the uh sorry right. um yeah driver from a young age was um was to have a family and you start to put things together you say well i need i want a family i've got to buy a house to buy a house i've got to have a deposit i've got to earn this plus live and actually it's a very simple element of math um I need a house in this area that costs this much. I need a deposit of this much. I have to earn, etc., etc. Um, so, with all of that, I knew I had to be self-employed at some stage because the ceiling on an employed person wouldn't give me the lifestyle I wanted. And I'm not saying that's all about money. For me, I can buy myself some time. I get time with my family. And so, so yeah, mindset is quite a, quite an important thing. How? Because it is pretty scary, you know, to 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 leave a a good paying job and just to start from scratch. How do you remember any of that? Or well, it's a good question. I suppose I always had that from the off. I always knew that I wanted to be self-employed. There was the scary part, I suppose, came when it when it finally came to a head. I'd got my degree after five years. I was, I was on a five-year part-time course as a building surveyor. Um, not just doing party wall, but a plethora of building surveying, um, building surveying tasks and jobs um, are based around kind of projects rather than valuation or anything like that. It was more project-based contract administration. Um, party wall, drawings, planning permission, that sort of thing. Um, and then once I'd met my wife and we got married and I then came out building Spain for a bit, went into contracting. Um, so I helped manage a, a small building firm and then went on to a slightly larger company doing um, kind of project management and contract management, all on the contracting side. Um, and it came to a point where I, I was moving too often. There wasn't, I wasn't satisfied. It was got to a point where I'd stayed in with the small building firm for about three years, three and a half years. I then skipped to this other place, um, a slightly larger firm as a contracts manager. 
spent only 11 months there and I just could not satisfy myself so during that time first child came along and me and my wife spoke and we had enough savings and we had our income and it was kind of a now or never so in terms of scary moments I wouldn't say scary I'd say considered knowing that my CV looked pretty awful at the time because I'd skipped around a bit I felt that I now is the time to give it a go I wanted to move I didn't know where to move to I interviewed I interviewed for several companies before I decided to go on my own after this 11 month period and then that was it self-employed and and now probably wouldn't look back yeah say probably there's always there's always options but I wouldn't look back and so from a from a kind of more practical perspective um, your first client how did you how did you get your first instruction oh I I had an overlap so I although I had this period of time where I spoke to my wife I always had something going on in the background I've always had a plan B um, there's always something to move on to so I'd actually built up a layer of clients just doing some private work bits and pieces in the evening weekends um, and that kind of built up and up um, to the point where me and my wife made the decision to to go it alone based on the clientele I had and then kind of in the first month hit the marketing pretty hard mm. um, but more by luck than judgment I suppose I was actually recalled back to my a previous employer to do effectively contracting right. so that kept me going for the first eight months after that there was no need for it but I it was it was mutually agreeable that I'd stick around for eight months and and then after that the the clientele was there it, it built itself yeah. built it. sounds sounds easy <laughs> yeah yeah of course yeah so if you uh, yeah if you had a word of advice for a young surveyor who actually wants to do what you did where where should he start young surveyor I would say educate um, there's several trainees I've had over the years mm. and the hardest lesson I had to learn was that it doesn't come easy um, going back to those hundred CVs before I am um, before I started out on my career 100 CVs three interviews one job offer <laughs> I was waiting I was waiting for something to come across my lap and it just didn't happen just did not happen um, as soon as I got my head around the fact that I actually had to try um, and that's how I ended up on an on a HNC course before I actually got a job was because I had to plump for something I had to go and get educated um, I had to try again I had to reinvent myself so my aim was to I was too accustomed to earning some money by that point I couldn't I felt I couldn't go back into full-time education but there are so many different options now um, you need a good employer to, to kind of help you along the way um, but I suppose there's an element of fortune I wouldn't say luck, I think you make your own luck, 
but you've certainly got to get out there. And as soon as you realise nothing's going to come across your lap without you trying, then, then, then that's the way to do it. Also, I'd say to any any trainee I've had or any young surveyor is to go out there and get some work experience. Um, people feel that work experience, you've got to, I don't know, try something you want to do forever. I'd almost look at it in reverse. I'd go out to work experience to find the things that you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Even if it's three days, three days here, three days there, a weekend, can I come and help you, etc., etc. Just to see what it's all about, just to give a tester. That's a good, that's, that's a, that's a good quote. Go, uh, get, get some work experience to, uh, to realize what you don't want to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I wouldn't say as I sit here now, I know what I want to do when I grow up. Still don't. I, um, I found it very difficult to kind of sit down and, and say, this is me forever. But you kind of do what you need to do with the information you've got at the time. Mm-hmm. And and so you were you were you were talking about marketing before. Um, you said that with your wife, you at some point uh, went hard on marketing. Um, how do you how do you market yourself as a surveyor? Oh, again, a learning curve. Um, in a surveying profession or a service profession, I would say you're selling a service. It's not like I'm making something that I can go out and tout. I haven't got. I haven't got TVs that I'm making that I can sell out the back of a van. I'm selling my knowledge. I'm selling my professionalism. Um, And after doing a bit of cold calling and a bit of, I don't know, Google ads and even Facebook, um, actually what I needed to do was go out and network and press hands and show my face and say, this is me um, and be professional and approachable. Uh, for me, having worked through my professional career up to the point where I went self-employed, I had an address book full of contacts. It was a case of going out, telling people I was about, um, being quite, not arrogant, but being forthcoming about it, saying, I'm ringing you because I want some work. I'm ringing you because this is who I am. I've done work for you before. You know me. Um, I'm now self-employed. Um, again, one of the learning curves for me was that it took. I still work on it as a kind of rule of thumb. By the time you've asked somebody for that work or met somebody initially and told them what what you could do, I say it's twelve months from pressing hands to getting work. Um, you sell yourself. You sell your relationship. Um, you sell your professionalism, but. 12 months from pressing hands to getting some work that's normally how it works and and for someone who has no black book of contacts if you if you were to advise someone go out there and get your first client what what would you what would you tell him still relationship driven there are various um there are various marketing associations out there that will help develop. So I actually joined a networking company called BNI when I first started out. Um, The learning curve in that 12 months, I didn't just get to know, get some contacts. I also got 
um, to learn how to be professional as a company. So all of the company aspects, the presentation, the standing up, the um, being approachable, even silly things like how to submit your VAT return, mm. um, what to do with all the bits of paper you accumulate over a daily basis. Um, but for me, I found that worked really well um, because I felt I was actually achieving something um, to be out there networking, publicly networking. So again, it's, I'm not sure it, for me, Google ads and, and yellow pages and things like that didn't work because you're trying to tout a name on a bit of paper that says party wall below it or contract administration or building work or whatever you want to do, window cleaning, plumbing, electrical. Um, it, the market's saturated. If you look at it, the market's saturated. You type in party wall surveyor, I'm not the first one that comes up. Several people you interview or some people using your software aren't the first people that come up. Not even going to be on the first page. Um, but realistically, I don't attract that much work through cold calls. Negligible, if anything. Yeah. All referrals. All referrals. Yeah. And how could referrals be, um, be improved? How could referrals be improved? I would say through yeah, through work ethic. So if you look at the Party Wall Pro software, for instance, um, that gives a very good professional basis to get those referrals. If you're slick and if you are organized um, and if you know what you're doing at the tap of a button, then it's certainly going to help um, generate more referrals. As a party wall surveyor, I see several clients a week, several adjoining owners, several um, surveyors that are working for the adjoining owner or the agreed surveyor. Um, the, yeah, I would say to meet those people and be professional and slick and know what you're talking about um, and be reactive mm. rather than on the back foot, you can be proactive, I suppose. Yeah. It's certainly going to help to generate those referrals. Right. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a good point. Um, and so, yeah, talking about party wall, um, how did you get from what you did before and into slowly into the party wall? Because a lot of your practice now is is dealing with with party wall. How how much how much of your practice do you do you focus on party wall? Probably sixty to seventy percent. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, I found that there was a lot of people out there that didn't know what they were doing in terms of party wall. Mm. Um, there were, and there seemed to be a need for it. Um, it is. You're feeding off of building projects all the time, so it's not necessarily a facilitator, um, but it's something that a lot of building owners or adjoining owners or even architects don't necessarily know much about. Um, a lot of architects will be able to produce the notice, send it off, but if they get anything other than a consent, 
um, they find it very difficult to manage, um, especially if they've got several projects on at a time. So for me, it led from a simple need. All of a sudden, I, I don't know, I, I got 10 party wall projects in, in the space of a, a month where I'd only been kind of getting one or two before. And it was, um, yeah, it was a simple, a simple thing for me to go out and build upon. Yeah, yeah, all right. You make, you make it sound very simple, everything. <laughs> really? Yeah, I should, I should dig a bit deeper. Um, <laughs> yeah, and so, so in, your, in your kind of day-to-day, -day, um, well, you mentioned Party Wall Pro, but it's not really, I, I, I don't want this interview to be, um, uh, to be a, an advertisement for, for Party Wall Pro. Um, but in, in, in your kind of day-to-day -day, um, job, what kind of tools do you, do you use? All, it's all diary management for me. Yeah. Um, if it's not logged in my diary, it doesn't get done. Um, to be honest, I even saw one earlier that I've, as soon as I clicked on the iPad, I realised there's a photographic schedule that I've done last week that should be out the door. But it's not in my diary. Um, I don't know why I haven't logged it in my diary, but it's not in my diary. Um, it is now, or it will be. Um, but everything for me is is generated from my diary. Hours, miles, jobs, where I am next, where I was last week, where I am tomorrow, um, all driven from there. Then everything kind of filters down. My whole filing system is built off the back of my diary. Right, okay. Right. And um, and in terms of schedule, oh, sorry, the schedule adjoining owners and stuff, before Party Wall Pro, what... Mm. How did you do it? How did you keep a sh the, you all your adjoining owners, all the details and all the... Oh, just hard filed every, every time, everything, like I said, lived from my diary. So if I was working on this today, that would mean going to my filing cabinet, getting out my files, having a pile that sometimes, sometimes the files never got quite put away and they linger about and there's post-it notes and and various reminders. I mean, in the morning I'd have, I don't know, 20 reminders of my phone. You can't, it's impossible, even if you had 20, if you worked 20 hours, by the time you'd got into one job, um, got into got into one job, finished that, put it down, picked up another one, you're not gonna complete 20 jobs in, in 20 hours. It's just sometimes impossible. Yeah. Um, so all of the reminders in the world just, didn't quite help me achieve my workload. That's mm. It. Mm. And so, how is life now with Party Wall Pro? Let's let's do a bit of self promotion. Come on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Party Wall Pro. Well, it like I said, it's slick. It just rather than having everything in my diary, I still use my diary that says today I will work on this. But a very simple. I forget what your numbering system is, but the, the one to whatever the final number is, a very easy step-by-step -step process where every job is at the hit of a button, what notices are live, what notices aren't, um, where you are. If I've... Party Walls Pro is great if you feed the information correctly into it. Yeah. So the building owners, the adjoining owners, the, um, the all the surveyors' names... So, for instance, just before I came on this interview, it was um, 
it reminded me that I needed to upload the building owner's permission, the um the signed the signed letter that says that I have been awarded the project. Um and a very simple reminder, but I've gone, yeah, of course, went to my went to my briefcase, it's in there, scanned it, uploaded it, it's there forever. Mm. It'll never get lost, it can never be misplaced. Um it's not kept in a in a filing cabinet in my office where I've had to then answer the phone when I'm out and about and can't quite get hold of it because it's in there. Party Wall Pro. The next thing's an app, Phil. The next thing's an app. That's what we need next. Um, but just to have it on the go, open my laptop, hotspot. There you go. That's where we are. That's what we need to do. All right. So there's no going back for you then? I don't think so. Not at all. Yeah. So, so, so back to, back to the real purpose of this interview. Um, if if you had to, to give um, just a word of advice for any young surveyor mm-hmm. who wants to maybe develop his or her party wall practice a little bit more, what what should he do? Number one, educate. Get out there learn as much as you can, read. It's not the most enlightening, it's not the most exciting project in the world, um, not the most exciting subject matter, but there are a lot of good books, there are a lot of good case studies, um, all the complexities of it. It's process driven, but it can be quite hard to navigate sometimes. So number one's educate. Number two is experience, I would say. Um, if you're unsure, if you want to adopt some more complex party wall matters, then get out there, get shadowing, get get a bit more education, get a bit more experience and just see if it's something you want to do. It's not all about enjoyment, but you've got to be able to enjoy it. You've got to be able to invest in it in order to succeed and really you need to get out there and and absolutely identify whether or not that's what you want to do. Are you looking for anyone? <laughs> Leading question. <laughs> um, currently, no. But with the aid of Party Wall Pro, I'm sure there'll be some need for it in the future. Great. So, last question. Um, who should I interview next? Any names you can think of? Top of your head? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say... I would say a guy called Barry Martin, but he's, um, I think he retired last year, but he was, he'd been doing it a long time. It would be good for you to get some investment from the older guys, just to see what it looks like at the end of a career. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Cool. Even like um, Rob Martell. Rob Martell and Partners in Berkhamsted High Street um, they are a good practice that was set up in the 90s, traditional building surveying, quantity surveying practice, probably one of the few. Um, I would try them. Rob Martell, but I'm not, again, I'm not even sure. His name comes out, but I'm not, I haven't met him. Who's the other one? Phil Eads. Philip Eads, he used to work for him. All right. Okay, I'll look them up. Mm. Thank you so much. No worries, Phil.